in the traditional practice, we just felt there was this constant element of guilt on our part because we knew we were not giving the type of care that our patients deserved. Hello, welcome to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Each episode, we bring you a conversation with leaders across the healthcare industry, exploring topics ranging from new treatment techniques and interventions to novel service delivery methods and business models. And now your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions, a leader in patient engagement and retention strategy. Let's explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Well, hello again. Welcome to another episode of the Better Outcomes Show. I'm your host, Rafi Salazar from Rehab U Practice Solutions. Man, this is take number like three <laughs> for me this this morning here. I think the first time I was trying to record this intro, uh, some spring came loose on my microphone stand. And it was like, boing, almost shot my eye out. Then I got thought I got it fixed away, squared away, and then I hit record again, and the whole microphone boom just kind of fell down. So we are, we're here now. Everything's in place. I don't think it's gonna fall apart. So we're just gonna roll with it. All right. So this week I am going to continue the conversation we've been having on direct primary care. You know, last episode, we had uh, Chris from Freedom HealthWorks on to talk kind of high level about what DPC is, how those uh, direct primary care practices are managed, what's different between DPC and concierge. And maybe I think it was like episode three of this podcast. So go way, way back in the archives when there was really, really bad um, sound and audio. (laughs) I think in that episode, um, like the extractor fan from our uh, or the trans the transfer fan from our ductless unit was running and you could hear in the background like Psh! anyways um, in episode three I sat down with dr. Rob Lamberts who's one of the few first doctors in my local area so I live in the Augusta area home of the Masters golf tournament if you're into that kind of thing and he was the first DPC doctor in our area I want to say one of the first in the state of Georgia, and he came on and talked very, again, very high level about his transition, what made him choose direct primary care as a practice model instead of the traditional fee-for-service or insurance-based model. And that was, you know, two years ago, two and a half years ago. So we decided to kind of circle back. Some things have changed, obviously, um, but then just kind of dive a little more in depth. So last episode, if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it with uh, Chris Habig from Freedom HealthWorks. And we talked very high level about DPC, how it's different than traditional primary care, what are the benefits, how those, how those practices are managed, how they make money, all of that kind of stuff. This week, we're taking it a step further and exploring another avenue of direct primary care, specifically the avenue of applying or deploying direct primary care in the business world, specifically for small businesses. It is no secret, especially if you run a business, you own a business, or you're in some kind of management position at a, at a health system or a healthcare organization, you see how expensive benefits are, right? And if you are a small business, um, you know you don't have thousands of employees to barter with or, or to bargain or negotiate rates with payers, it can be outlandishly expensive. Uh, The majority of overhead expenses for many companies is 
payroll expenses, including healthcare and benefits. So um, this week, I'm sitting down with uh, a buddy of mine who is also in the Augusta area. He's a direct primary care professional himself, Davis Malik, who uh, he shares a little bit about his journey into direct primary care. He's, he and his wife started a practice and then they merged with another practice and now they've got three locations or two locations and one more coming with a focus on uh, applying this model or using this model of direct primary care to help businesses offer healthcare services to their employees at a way that is affordable, that r- results in better healthcare overall, not just you know checking the box if we give you health insurance, but really a method or a tool or a model that's going to help their employees live a healthier life, which, you know, hopefully down the line translates to uh, decreased time off of work, decreased work injuries, all of that kind of, all of that kind of stuff that employers really care about. So um, hopefully you enjoy this conversation. Again, this show is all about innovation in healthcare, allowing the human element or the relationship between provider and clinician to be formed and strong and leverage that relationship to help uh, patients live healthier, better, um, more active lives. So hopefully this conversation points you in the right direction, gives you some kind of maybe thoughts about your own practice or your own model, or if you're in the healthcare tech space or on how you can support companies that are, you know, really innovating in the way healthcare services are bought and sold. So without further ado, here's Davis Malik from Welcome Health talking about direct primary care and its specific application in the business world. Well, hey, Dav- Davis, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing good, Rafi. How are you doing today? Doing all right. Can't complain. Um, I'm excited about talking about direct primary care, the business applications, the personal application. But before we do that, just give us a little breakdown of who you are, what you do, and what kind of brought you to direct primary care. Yeah, I'm Davis Mellick. I'm a, a PA uh, with an initial background in emergency medicine um, that really didn't uh, speak to a good quality of life for me. And <laughs> so after experiencing burnout and wanting to be able to spend more time with family, I transitioned to uh, urgent care, primary care, um and that did not give me the satisfaction that i was hoping for and so uh me and ed boland were actually working together uh and we were both lamenting about the uh our 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 negative job satisfaction as it were um where medicine had really kind of become this moving meat type of thing uh and was hyper-focused on efficiency and seeing more numbers of patients because that drives up revenue for the business. Uh, I had come across a New York Times article about direct primary care, and we started talking about it. And it kind of spitballed from there, and we uh, we ended up meeting up with Rob Lamberts, who locally uh, was the original DPC here in Augusta. Um, and he had made the transition for a lot of the same reasons that we were looking at something different. We wanted to, we have a love for medicine, a love for taking care of patients, but the burnout is not from patient care. It's from the system. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so there's this, 
in the traditional practice, we just felt there was this constant element of guilt on our part because we knew we were not giving the type of care that our patients deserved. And so we decided back in early 2018 that this was something we were going to pursue. And so started kind of doing the elements of it. And then we opened up separate practices. Uh, originally, my practice was Evans Direct Primary Care. Um, and we both opened in January 2019. Uh, and after three years, we have you know three successful direct primary care practices. Uh, and we really kind of recognized there was we had this 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 passion for DPC that had grown. Uh, and the three of us, me, uh, Rob Lambert, Ed Bolin, decided to to tie the knot per se. And so we merged and became Welcome Health with the idea of uh, we always want our patients to feel welcome, that they're not a, an annoyance or a hindrance, and to kind of welcome them into a better healthcare home uh, where there's an actual relationship. Uh, and that also gave us the ability to kind of add on providers and start looking at expansion and uh, pursue more, more business applications as well. Uh, which can be a great way to, for businesses, not only provide a, an added benefit that employees greatly appreciate, but can also lower their overall healthcare cost as well and save a business money. Yeah. All right. Covered a lot there. I want to talk, we'll talk specifically, like what is direct primary care? How does it work? And then we'll kind of bridge into the, the business application. So for somebody who might not know, Maybe they've heard of like concierge medicine or, you know, out of network stuff. What is direct primary care? So quick differentiation between direct primary care and concierge. Yeah. Um, direct primary care, our patients pay us on a subscription basis, on a monthly subscription basis. And we try to make our fees fairly reasonable and fairly low cost to help it improve access. Concierge yeah. tends to kind of, it's a little the snootier, the nose up <laughs> in the air, um, tends to be about triple to four times or even higher the price that we charge uh, for the monthly subscription. You're paying for access and they still are going to bill your insurance. And so to a degree, it's a little bit like double dipping. Um, there are some great concierge guys out there though that do a tremendous service, but it's not necessarily accessible to everybody. And so one of the main drives with direct primary care is we recognize that our healthcare system is a broken system, just plain and simple. And there are so many elements to our system that dissuade patients from coming in and getting adequate care. And so and there's so many elements of the system that dissuade uh, providers from even going into primary care or family medicine. Um, we have a massive shortage of primary care providers here in the nation, and it's only getting worse. And one of the main reasons is, is that insurance, plain and simple, does not reimburse primary care very well. So it has turned into a volume-based uh, specialty. Yeah, uh, where you just you end up referring everybody out to a specialist, and that's one of the things that drives up healthcare costs. 
And so yeah. the right primary care is it's I'm not gonna pretend like it's the fix to the system, but it's one of the things that those of us that are actually providing the care can take back some element of control away from insurance companies, away from the screwed up system to provide better access and care. So for our patients, there is no, there's no copay. Um, if they need to be seen five times in a month, it costs them the exact same. Uh, all of our patients are able to access us through a direct messaging app. We use a, a program called Spruce. Um, so we're able to have this element of continuous communication, which changes our approach in a lot of ways to medicine as well. So you're not getting the the staccato of care that you get through a traditional practice where you get seen, you have a brief visit, bunch of beds thrown at you, and then they'll see you again in six months and there's no follow-up to see if we're tolerating the medication well, there's no follow-up to see if they're even working for you. Whereas for us, we can actually have that continuous conversation with our patients to really fine tune and really help ultimately get control of whatever the condition is. And so yeah. it gives power back to our patients. It gives power back to us as providers. Um, and then not only does it allow for better care, the other aspect is, is we can have complete price transparency. There's you know, there's this this veil of of cost within healthcare. Um, yeah, where no one no knows one what they're going to pay until six. Yeah, no later. one knows what the true cost <laughs> is, and it's intentionally there uh, because it, it's one of the things that can help. It drives up revenue, um, and it, who's it drive up most of the revenue for? Well, ultimately, it justifies driving up revenue for insurance companies. And so we as medical providers aren't getting that as those yeah. all those those crazy increases in, in healthcare costs. It's not getting trickled down to us by any means. Um, but we can actually tell our patients, hey, I want to start you on this medication. I can send it to the pharmacy for you with your insurance because they use a prescription benefit manager. The this may be what your cost is. Ultimately, we don't know because they have a behind the scenes negotiation with the drug company, with the pharmacy. But if you get the medication from us, because we keep an on-site pharmacy, I'll tell you, I, a lot of our medications, they're three to five cents per pill. Yeah. And so we do a, a very simple 10% markup to cover credit card fees uh and you know for the time that it takes to kind of put the stuff together but that's it so we ultimately we're buying it at wholesale selling it at wholesale same with lab work the uh it, it's it's kind of wild at times you know there's always that hesitancy to get your blood work drawn sometimes because you never know what cost is going to end up coming down to you exactly yeah or uh, that, that particular you know test wasn't covered by insurance so now you're paying two hundred dollars for it or something yeah. so you know and it's and it's a guessing game on our end when we're billing it to insurance what code they may actually approve and it's kept like that once again intentionally um Whereas for us, we can do, we can tell our patients exactly what the cost of a lab is. And so it's kind of wild to think, but one of the things that 
just give you a quick list. CBC, which is your hemoglobin, red blood cells, white blood cells, platelets. A CMP, which is a comprehensive metabolic panel. It's a kidney function, liver function, electrolytes. Um, a TSH, which is a thyroid screen. A1C, which is your diabetes screen. And a cholesterol panel. When that gets billed out to insurance, typically the charge that comes down is around $400 total for those five tests. Insurance may cover it. They may say, oh, we're going to be generous. We'll cover half. But if we do it through our program, it costs $23. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. so there, there, it takes away a lot of the guesswork and it gets rid of a lot of the surprise billing, which even though there have been some legislation trying to remove that, the behemoth that is our healthcare system with how bloated it is and with how confusing it has been made, um, it plain and simple, it hasn't worked. Yeah. Yeah. And some of that, I mean, we keep alluding to it like insurance companies and like convoluted costs. I mean, a lot of it is, and the main thing is like malaligned incentives, right? Like you mentioned it at the beginning, healthcare is very much because we're fee for service, <laughs> like high volume is the name of the game. So as many patients as we can cram into a clinic and as little bit of a time and maximize the billing. And it's just, it's, you know, the incentives from a provider standpoint, even are not, um, not conducive to that one-on-one -on -one quality time that you get with, uh, just a, a direct a primary care physician or physician or a, a clinician that's that doesn't have that pressure of like a time-based you know reimbursement code or something associated with it yeah well and with the current system how it is you get paid more the more you prescribe the more yeah. tests you ordered and the sicker or more diagnoses your patient has i have worked in facilities where they told us it doesn't matter what it is you need to send every patient out with either a prescription or a test. And the reason is, is it leads to upcoding. You can end up billing more as a result. Yeah. And that leads to just really poor prescribing patterns. And the other aspect is, is the system profits on the fact that you're sicker. And so if we in primary care, our main goal is prevention, I should ultimately be helping guide you and teach you both dietary lifestyle changes and things like that where ultimately i have less prescriptions to have to give you yeah that's my long-term goal that's my favorite thing to do is hey we've we've hit this milestone we can cut out these two diabetes meds now hey you've you've been doing such a good job let's let's you know cut out this blood pressure med and that's really what good healthcare should look like but it, it's it's such a foreign concept within American healthcare that when I first started doing this, I actually struggled on figuring out, well, what I've never had to discontinue meds before. <laughs> How do we do that? <laughs> exactly. Um, which one do I cut out first? Do I do a dosing adjustment? And it was actually a, a learning curve for me that I did not expect to have to do. But man, is it so satisfying because a lot of diseases, I mean, plain and simple, we treat them and there's value in treating them. But if we can actually cure the disease, 
with you know lifestyle adjustments heck yeah yeah so it's i mean a win we, for everybody <laughs> and so that's one of the things that we do a good bit of is we we do a lot of like lifestyle conversations um and so you know it's not something that you get or you're even capable of doing in a insurance-based practice not only because it's it's time consuming and that's probably why i spend more time on talking about than anything else um but it's also i mean okay you had a conversation about dietary stuff and you can get a little bit of an upcode for it yeah. but it really doesn't reimburse much exactly like what what can we build that for that conversation for <laughs> exactly um and so i think that's one of the some of the big differences there you know so for our like individuals and families the main benefit is that they're going to get really good uh preventative focused primary care and we really do try to build a relationship with our patients yeah well and that, you know we had somebody on the show a while back who they a lot of their work is in subscription pricing and they were talking a little bit about the application to healthcare um and they basically said like subscription or membership based healthcare services really like just transforms the relationship of the the clinician and the provider or the clinician and the and the patient because it now it's less of a a relationship between the clinician working with the insurance company or billing the insurance company so now like the actual the the care relationship is now in the center yeah. because right now you're incentivized to this person is paying me a monthly fee like they need to feel that it's valuable and i need to do my part to make sure that we're helping them achieve their their health goals or, or whatever it is and not so much checking the right boxes or billing the right codes in order to get yeah. um those up charges <laughs> yeah well it, that's actually a really good point um you know with insurance companies you you have to sign a contract you know it, they can kind of bully you if like you don't agree to things then they're going to be like okay well we're not going to have you be in network so you all of a sudden have this large population that they will not allow patients to come see you and they're the ones writing you the check uh they're telling you the rules they're they're making you jump through the hoops so in the end you are employed as a medical provider by the insurance company in every essence of it and so insurance companies are the boss in that case in this case my my each individual patient they're the boss um they're the ones kind of employing me here basically yeah uh, and so it definitely it changes that motivation and it's like well if our goal is patient-centered care which i think that's a phrase a lot of people have heard a lot of people have said is patient-centered care but it's not going to be that unfortunately for the majority of patients in the insurance model because it, it's insurance centered care ultimately yeah Yes. I mean, we'd probably spend another hour talking about that. Um, <laughs> let's talk about it specifically for, for businesses, because what's obviously there's, there's a different payer involved. If it's a, a business, mm -hmm. not a, um, not the family themselves or the, the members themselves reaching out to you and doing that. But, um, how does it work for businesses? What are the benefits? Cause I'm, I'm sure there's cost savings benefits from like a, a preventative standpoint and you know disease management standpoint even i guess yeah 
So it's kind of multifactorial. So one, a business can actually provide the membership where they pay for it as a benefit to their employees. Um, they can get a little bit of a tax write-off. I think it's for IRS form 5,500, if I remember offhand. I'm not a tax guy, so talk to your accountant about it. Yeah. Uh, it is something, though, that our the em employees in general feel is a very good benefit. They actually, in, in polls that they've looked at different benefit options, whether it be insurance, 401k, disability insurance, uh, access to direct primary care is routinely been rated uh, as one of the higher satisfaction benefits that's given. Because what you're giving your employees is you're giving them accessibility. And so the employee doesn't have to pay that monthly subscription. The business is paying it. And so you're saying like, hey, here is on a silver platter. Here is access that's free for you. They're not telling you you have to go and change who your primary care is. Uh, but if you're kind of given the option of, well, I can go here and I have to pay this copay or I have to pay X amount out of pocket or I can come here and it's it's free. Yeah um you know free for the employee uh that's one of the things that you'll end up seeing really good uh satisfaction from from a, a benefit standpoint we have a large number of small businesses and so for a lot of small businesses being able to offer things like health insurance is not really an option for them because of the cost and that can in today's job market that can make retention of employees sometimes a little more of a challenge um i've had these conversations with business owners you know they they say patients will or employees will leave for a job that offers health insurance and take a pay cut and cut their pay in half just because there's this we have so much emphasis and value as a society put on health insurance. Yeah, and so, it's crazy. Sure. I mean, it's one of the number one causes, you know, uh, healthcare debt is one of the number one causes of bankruptcy filing. Um, it's once again, it's part of a broken system here. Uh, now, and for larger businesses that are offering health insurance to their employees, not only are you getting your pay, your employees access and and access means potentially less sick days, less injuries. Um, it means there's no delay in, in treatment. It means getting them back to work quicker. Uh, but the other aspect is, is if they modify the type of health insurance that they have. And so there's a, a great uh, uh, health insurance guy, Tom Massney here locally, um, who's really kind of using the, this model a whole lot more. Uh, it's been used out west for a while. It's been used up north for a while. But the south, we're always a little slower to adopt oh, some of these slow things. Slow to adopt, yeah. <laughs> um, and so for these larger businesses, really trying to kind of get control back into the hands of the business on what their healthcare expenditures look like and switching to what they call either self-funded plans or level-funded plans where the business has kind of complete control over what sort of things are covered, what the what the cost is going to be to the employee, um, and then pairing it with direct primary care. 
And so it, there is sometimes a little upfront cost, a little upfront risk on the business, but it it gets pretty well mitigated with how these things are written. And so there's a reason these have been used across the nation already for quite some time. Um, once again, we're just sometimes slower to adopt things in the South. I uh, don't know why, uh, culturally why that is, but yeah. that does seem to kind of be the trend. Uh, and so when you pair these sort of insurance plans with direct primary care, ultimately what you're doing is you're decreasing that insurance utilization. So there's less claims being made. So we already know with direct primary care, there's about 60% less referrals because we have the time to actually manage these things. And so that drops your claim rate down. There's actually pretty well documented. There's less actual surgeries that end up being required. The vast majority of those tend to be sports medicine surgeries. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of right up your alley right there. Alley, yeah. uh, and the reason is, is patients are able to come in, they have better access, we're able to treat them, and we're able to get them in with physical therapy or occupational therapy and prevent progression to the point that they even need surgery. So that major decrease in costs there as well. Um, there's less urgent care visits. There's less e ER visits because you're giving patients this accessibility. And yeah, so, I was going to say, if they knew so, that they can't get in with you for a week or so, then they're like, okay, I'm just going to go down to my urgent care and get this taken care of. <laughs> exactly. Um, or, hey, I'll just, it's, it's you know, midnight, and I know I'm not going to be able to get anything else taken care of. I'm going to just go to the ER or whatever. And some of it is just, we we as healthcare providers are so sometimes entrenched in medicine that we don't recognize the fact that, you know, when someone gets a little cut, they may not know where they can go or what is appropriate. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the cost of an ER visit is, you know, 10 times, if not higher than that, uh, probably 20 times higher than that, just walking through the door of an ER than going to an urgent care. And if we can help mitigate some of that by, hey, that doesn't need XYZ, this is the best place to go. You can even just still direct direct care. So maybe a patient does need to go to an urgent care. Maybe it's something I can't handle, you know, on a weekend or something like that. We can actually direct them towards the better cost savings approach as well. And that can ultimately help lower your claims. The beauty yeah. of your level funded and self-funded plans is that at the end of the year, whatever you haven't utilized or whatever money that has been kind of put into it, you actually get back as a business owner as a rebate. And so you can then put that money back, reinvest it back into the business. And so, awesome. yeah. you know, if you're just doing a, you know, if you're going through and you're just kind of getting a blanket, you know, Cigna plan, which isn't great around here locally, or United Healthcare, Blue Cross Blue Shield, Anthem, whatever, you know, you're paying these premiums, you're paying a portion of it for your employees, they're paying a large portion of it as well. But that money just and, goes into the ether. You never see correct. it. Correct. <laughs> yeah, they're just seeing it as part of their multi-billion dollar profits as a result. And so with this, it actually allows for the employer to really take back a lot of control in that expenditure 
but then they're also still really doing a great job of providing coverage for their employees. And so with those type of plans, I mean, they can still see specialists. A lot of times co-pays aren't adjusted. Uh, so it's still, you know, kind of their standard co-pays. Um, you know, medications are still going to be covered, but it's recognizing the need and the value of having a primary care acting as quarterback. And so we're not operating with the understanding of, oh, we're trying to save the business money. I mean, that's that's not how we practice. Our goal is still very much patient-centered care. But because of that access, they're going to have significantly less claims and they're going to start seeing cost savings. Now, the cost saving may not always be immediate. Um, it may take one to two years of kind of being involved in it, and then they will start seeing those cost savings come through. Yeah, yeah. No, that's, a, I did not get the whole piece about the the self-funded and the, the money coming back. That's that's a good uh, a good bonus right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, and there are some, like, some businesses are already doing some, uh, uh, like partially what they call partially self-funded or partially level funded. And so whatever cost savings they end up having, they will get a rebate, but the insurance company is keeping half of it, if not more. More, yeah. And so in this case, what you're saying is, no, like why have them do that? You can do this and set it up yourself and increase the amount of cost savings for your business. And so that you're getting all of that rebate back as a result. And so it's it's really trying to kind of put hand, power back in the hands of businesses to really help them see some long-term benefits. Um, especially considering for, I mean, a lot of businesses, I mean, a, a major portion of their their overhead is, is health insurance. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and there's no other country like that. Um, and so that's really one of the big things is trying to kind of change change healthcare outcomes. And that's one of the other things. I mean, with DPC, we see better controlled diabetes, better controlled high blood pressure. You know, just those two things is going to decrease your cardiovascular risk. Your employees are less likely to go and have a heart attack in the middle of the night. You know, the big tragedies, that, which are also, unfortunately, those are the big those are the big cost things, the big things that uh, uh, end up generating revenue into the healthcare system. But we really should be focusing on preventing those and doing so aggressively. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're in a position to do so without having to worry about upcharging or the lost revenue that would happen because you're, um, you know, being in the physical therapy space, I always tell people like, listen, our job is like work ourselves out of a job. Like we want the patient to be at the point where they're taking care of it. We don't want them coming back and um, in six weeks or the same thing, but there yeah. are a lot of places because of the way that healthcare is run and reimbursed that they're all, it's like a hamster wheel. They're trapped on it. Like we need to see so many patients. We need to keep them in here. We need to keep the, the volume high and our charges at a certain level. Um, and sometimes it means that you lose or you forego some of those treatments that might be in reality, higher value to the patient. Um, yeah. but not so much higher value to the, to the insurance company or to the, or to the provider. Right. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Well, we're getting near the top here. Um, if there's anything that you would want, um, a listener to walk away with either about direct primary care or the application for business, 
um, what what would it be? I I think the big thing is is it is a it's a different mindset for primary care. It's a different mindset for our patients. It's a different mindset for us. And the goal ultimately is looking at long-term solutions and building a relationship with our patients. And so, you know, we we approach it from a team approach. Every patient of mine, we go through, and I, I'm going to go through the data as well. I'm a nerd at heart, um, but a lot of times it's their ultimate decision as well. But we want to kind of figure out what the best approach is going to be for them, where, you know, some patients that may be a very aggressive approach some patients that may be a kind of a slow approach build up and that sort of thing i mean i have patients that you know it took two and a half years before the lifestyle conversations really started kicking in um i've had patients where day one um it starts kicking in but being able to have that that time and i think that's the biggest yeah. difference is we have that time we've got the luxury of time with our patients we've got the luxury of of being able to have that continuous conversation with them through our our messaging app and really kind of getting to know them and dive into their healthcare issues at their visits because we have time awesome cool deal well davis where can people find out about you about welcome health all the places i guess <laughs> Yeah, so uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on our website. Our website is welcomehealth.net. Um, and so we've got, currently we've got two offices. We've got one off Davis Road. Uh, that's our Augusta office. And then we've got my office here in Evans, uh, which is kind of right down the street from uh, the Evans Taco Sushi is one of the, <laughs> the landmark, right? <laughs> one of the landmarks there. Um, and so we're opening up a third location in Waynesboro this summer. Nice. Uh, and so we're uh, we're hoping to continue to expand and continue to grow this because we see we see the, the need for it. Um, we want to, you know, people who kind of given up on primary care because it's it's let's be honest sometimes it's, terrible, it's too much yeah. trouble um <laughs> and uh you know as rob kind of came up with that you know we're here for the medically homeless in a lot of ways um we want to kind of be able to welcome you home into a healthcare group that is going to do everything we can to take care of you and your needs and really lead to better overall results awesome Cool deal. Well, Davis, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Have a good one. Thanks, Rafi. Have a good one, man. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Davis Malik talking about direct primary care and the benefits or potential benefits for employers as they try to navigate taking care of their employees and their workforce and giving them access to high quality, good health care. Um, you know, it's been it's been a while since I've had health insurance, either employer sponsored or otherwise. <laughs> a part of the it comes with the territory of being self-employed, I guess. But I was talking to somebody the other day, and because of not having employer sponsored health insurance and having to explore some of these areas, you know, back in 2017 when a lot of this was, you know, still kind of new and up and coming, every time I would have that, this conversation with, you know, even my wife when I first brought it up. 
of, okay, we're going to try direct primary care. We're going to use something like a health share, something like that to manage, you know, the cost of, of healthcare and access healthcare for us and our family. I've got at the time only a couple young kids and now we've, we've got a few more, but it was one of those, you know, we were on the line for healthcare um, to cover our healthcare costs and make sure we had access to healthcare. Um, and now I tell people like, I don't know if I would ever go back to insurance. The cost is just out, you know, it's outrageous these days. We see people in the clinic that I work in, the clinics that I consult with, you know, patients that have, you know, five, six, seven, sometimes $10,000 out of pocket uh, expenses or deductibles before insurance begins kicking in and the like, very restrictive networks. It's just crazy. And what that does on the patient side is it prevents patients from accessing healthcare. <laughs> maybe maybe that's the underlying thought there, right? On, on the part of the payers is by increasing the cost, increasing the skin in the game, so to speak, or the, the direct cost that patients have to bear that they're going to access care only when they need to. But in reality, it's so high right now that I feel like most patients are just neglecting care because they can't afford it. Um, on the other side, what it does to providers as Davis said, you know, it, it becomes a volume game. No longer is it about the relationship or the time that you can spend with the patient. It's about how much you can bill. And part of that is the, the fee-for-service model, which I discuss at length in the book, Better Outcomes, A Guide to Humanizing Healthcare. You can pick that up on Amazon if you haven't already. But what that does, the fee-for-service model, is it skews the incentives in healthcare for the provider to try to see patients for as little amount of time as possible and maximize the amount of billable activity done in that time. So what ends up happening, as Davis shared, is you end up feeling like you're you're herding these cattle through a system, if you would, or a conveyor belt in order to, really it's a survival mechanism at some level just to keep the lights on because the reimbursements are going down, down, down. Patients are having to spend more, more, more. It's just, um, it's tough. It's tough to do that. So the ability to kind of unplug from that, as Chris said in the last episode, and move into a relationship with a healthcare provider or clinician where you, the relationship really is the center. You know, in one of the episodes that we've done in the past with Ron Baker and Ed Klass talking about innovation in healthcare, um, we discussed the idea of subscription and value-based care. And Ron and Ed have made the point on their show multiple times that um, that subscription-based services is value pricing 2.0 because what it does, it truly places the, the relationship between the provider and the client or the recipient or the member in the center because if the relationship doesn't seem to be valuable or isn't proving to be valuable to the member, they just up and leave. <laughs> so anyways, those, those are some thoughts on that as we as we wrap up. Alrighty, over the next several episodes, we're going to be talking with folks involved in healthcare technology, either folks consulting in the space, helping providers implement um, maybe remote therapeutic monitoring or the like in their practices, or folks that are involved in bringing some kind of cool, innovative tool and technology to the market. So stay tuned for that. And if you happen to have developed a tool technology device and you're looking specifically at bringing that to market here in the US in the musculoskeletal and rehab space and you're looking for someone to help you craft 
your uh, go-to-market strategy or market penetration roadmap, I would uh, encourage you to check out the market penetration roadmap offered by <laughs> Rehab U Practice Solutions. You can find that at strategy.rehabthelettereupracticesolutions.com. That's strategy.rehabupracticesolutions.com. If you like the show, head on over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. Helps people find us. If you want to be notified when we do release new episodes, you can go to www.betteroutcomes.show. Sign up there. You can also catch all of the previous episodes and listen at your convenience. All right, folks. Until the next time, be safe, be healthy. I will talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the Better Outcomes Show, where we explore the possibilities of a new healthcare. Our hope is that you walk away from each episode informed, equipped, and empowered to push the boundaries in your own practice or business. We want to give you the tools to help you build strong, long-lasting relationships with your patients and clients, helping meet their goals, improve their health, and achieve better outcomes. Learn more at www.rehabupracticesolutions.com. We'll catch you on the next episode.